You can't write that word. So he thought, I know what, I'll write a different word, but I'll know what it means. And so he wrote the word sailing. He thought, going to go to youth and speak about sailing at youth. Okay. Well, four weeks went by and the youth leader thought, I'd better ring the pastor again just to check that he's still okay to come and speak to the youth about sex. And so he rang the pastor again. The phone rang and the pastor was out, but his wife answered. His wife picked up the phone and said, oh, it's just, I'm just checking to see if the pastor's still going to come and speak to the youth group next week. She said, hang on a minute, I'll check his diary, his calendar. <laughs> she thumbed through the pages, she found the right date and she said, well, he is coming, but I have to let you know, he knows nothing about that subject. And the last time we did it, his hat blew off and he was sick three times. Was that appropriate for today? <laughs> Maybe not. Did I mention about a book? Did I, did I mention that? Um, <laughs> actually, if you go on Amazon, so it's on sale on Amazon, it's currently in the Christian books um, bestsellers thing, about number 3,000. So, uh, so it's flying off the shelves, so take it while it's here. Um, I actually had a really interesting email from a, a Church of England vicar. Uh, this is a true story. An email came through from a Church of England vicar, a friend of notable scholar N.T. Wright. Okay, so if you've heard of him, he's quite big. Yeah. And this guy wrote to me, he said, um, I accidentally read your book. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. He said, I went to Amazon, I was trying to buy a book by the scholar, the American scholar, Michael Williams. And I must have got mixed up because your book arrived. And then he said, and it was quite good. Isn't that interesting? Quite good. So if you want a quite good book. There you go. Where are my notes? Okay. Fantastic. Shall I just get on with the preach? That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we've been talking about the word culture. Everyone say culture. And uh, culture is uh, the norm of behavior in a given group of people and churches have good culture and bad culture and our hopefully our goal as Christians and as the church is to uh, align ourselves with kingdom culture. And so we're talking about different aspects of kingdom culture and this morning we talked about maybe getting rid of the culture of complaining and, uh, and adopting a culture of attitude, uh, uh, a culture of gratitude or attitude, it could be that, um, and a culture of agreement. But I want to speak to you just for a few minutes on the culture of, of increase, the culture of increase. So in 2 Kings chapter 6 and uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet you with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs and there we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Evidently, Elisha was attracting a crowd and that crowd was growing. And they had, they had come across this issue, if we keep meeting you here, it won't be big enough. Let's make a bigger place. Let's increase Let's create more space for God to work. Let's, 
Let's just push the boundaries out. Let's push the walls back. Let's do something new. Let's, let's move forward together and create more space. And Elisha said, yes, I love that idea. Let's do it. That's my paraphrase of that verse. <laughs> I love it. Elisha, the prophet of God, was not against increase. In fact, he was for it. What an exciting time that must have been to be a part of that. Can you imagine? It's just exciting. It's growing. It's moving. And Elisha says yes. But I want to suggest to you that if the prophets had been British, this would never have gotten off the ground. <laughs> I want to suggest to you, I know I'm picking on us Brits, but I want to suggest to you that if this would never have happened. Why? Because we don't tend to do big. And we don't tend to do increase. Remember I said last night, we, we celebrate the mediocre. We don't like things to be too extravagant. We don't tend to like big. And in British culture, the, the, large, the idea that large is bad is like a myth that we, that we believe. We, we tend to treat anything that's big as bad or suspicious of it. And anything that's small as great. Okay, so uh, some examples of this in church life is if we come across a, a big successful church, we tend to view it as, well, something bad must be going on there. <laughs> something not right must be happening there if it's big. There must be something wrong with that. I like it small. I like it where I know everybody's name. I like it where it's close. I like, you know, and, and so we have this kind of <laughs> big church must be bad thing going on. Let me just say a couple of words about that. Big and small are relative. So we have a church in one church in Zimbabwe, in a village where 50 people live in that village and all 50 go to the church. So that, you would say that's a 100% attendance in that local town. 50 people live in a village, 50 people go to church. For them, that's huge. I've also been to a church called uh, Kensington Temple in London, which is, was, at the time I was there, around about 5,000 people. And you would say, that's big. And yet there's 12 million people in London. 5,000 in a city of 12 million is incredibly small. It's a drop in the ocean. So big and small is relative to the context in which the church is found. Does that make sense? Both big and small churches can be good or bad or mixed. Both big and church, small churches have problems. Now, big churches have a lot more problems, but they often go unseen. Whereas smaller churches have less problems, but they're more obvious. Everyone knows about the problems in a small church. So what matters isn't size, what matters is culture. We are either moving toward increase, whatever that looks like in your context or your location, we're either missional or we're stagnating and dwindling. Does that make sense? Well, that's what matters, is what's our trajectory? Where are we moving? What's the culture? What are we believing for? That's what matters. Let's, let's make a decision to not join those who make judgments about churches they've never been to. Let's just not do that because it's the bride of Christ. Let's not speak badly about the bride. 
but less believe for more. Because I believe God has always been concerned with increase. God has always been concerned with multiplication. He's always been concerned with growth and expansion. In fact, often in the Bible where you find the word blessing, it's attached to increase. It is, trust me. Here's a few themes. The theme that runs through the Bible of fruitfulness and multiplication. In Genesis 1:28, it says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. In Genesis 22, it says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. In Leviticus 26, verse 9, Matt, it says, I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying your people. In Jeremiah 29, verse 6, it says, multiply, don't dwindle away. In Jeremiah 30, verse 19, it says, I will multiply my people, not diminish them. I will honor them, not despise them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, it says, He will provide increase for your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. There's this theme in the Bible. It runs again and again. It tells us that God's concerned with fruitfulness and with multiplication. God is about fruitfulness and multiplication. Just hold that for a moment because he also, there's another theme, which is the theme of an increase in disciples. In Matthew 28, it says, go into the nations making disciples of them. That's huge. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people, say all, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That verse there stumps Calvinists like crazy. Because Calvinists say, and I'm a kind of partial Calvinist, okay? I'm not a full Calvinist, I'm a partial Calvinist. But Calvinists would say that God only wants to save the elect, to save some. But that verse there says explicitly who wants all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 6. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. This is after Pentecost where we know at least 3,000 were added in one day. And they're still increasing in chapter 6. This is growing. It's increasing. It's expanding. It's moving. And God's in it. But then there's another theme of increase in the Bible. It's the increase of spiritual growth. In Psalm 75, it says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. I will increase the power of the godly. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, get wisdom. And whatever you do, get insight. In 1 Peter 3, it says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Can you pick up the theme? It's happening again and again through scripture. God is concerned with your increase personally and he's also interested and concerned with the increase of his church in the world and the church in our city, Bristol. He's interested, concerned, passionate. I would say he is zealous for the growth and the increase of the church and that should be our heart too. So it kind of runs countercultural to some of the British culture that is quite happy to be where we are, <laughs> quite settled. 
Does that make sense? We have to have a culture of increase. But increase stops when we settle. Increase stops when we settle. Here's a personal example. When I left school, I, I was so glad to be out of there. I was done with education. Amen. I was done with education. I was like, I don't want to sit in a classroom anymore. I'm done with that. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to get out of here and I'm going to enjoy the world. And that is what I did. And I tell you what, my education and my growth stopped because I settled. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s, early 30s, where I began to think, I need to grow. I need to get educated. I need to learn. So I applied myself to courses. In fact, I'm now 45, and this week I've just finished a degree. I'd never done a degree before. I've just finished. Thank you. I failed, but at least I had to go. It's taken me to this point. But, but this is the thing, because personally, I, I had settled for where I was at GCSE. I didn't think there was anything more for me than that. I wanted to do stuff with my hands. I wanted to be where the people were. And I've realized as I've grown and as I've matured and as God has dealt with me and revealed to me that God is interested and concerned with my growth, with my education, spiritually, mentally. This is not about getting knowledge for knowledge's sake, by the way. But this is about getting insight and getting wisdom and getting knowledge. Why? So that God can use me. And so... I found that in my own life, when I have settled, I have ceased to increase. And it has been a learning for me to apply myself to increase personally. It's costly. It costs me to do the degree. It's cost me to do those courses. But the idea is that it's worth the cost because I'm investing in my personal increase. Can I ask you, have you settled? Have you settled for what you have and where you are? Or is there anything in you that's going, there must be more. God must have more. I may have to pay for it. I may have to sacrifice. I may have to go and do something different. I may have to try a different path, but there's more for me. There's more for me. It's a culture of increase rather than one of settling for what we have. Here's another idea. So our church, in one church, we had um, grown our location to uh, fill the building, and we were going, well, what do we do next? So we, we thought we would try doing a couple of services to try and create more space that way. It didn't really work that well for us, so we ended up going into another building, and the church grew again, and it filled that building. And we decided at that point we could either settle for that because it was great, I promise you, we were having brilliant services, the presence of God was there, people were buzzing, everyone was loving it, the church was full every week, and no one was coming along and saying, God, this could do with some, you know, everyone was coming and loving it. And at that point, it was very tempting to go, we've done it, we're happy, let's settle for what we have. But we felt God speak to us. 
I think I shared this with somebody earlier on. We felt God speak to us. He said, you can, you can build a really, really big tree and you'll get good fruit from a big tree. Or you can plant an orchard and you get more fruit. One tree or many trees. And we felt God lead us to plant a, another church. And we knew it would be costly. And what we did is we gave away a whole bunch of people and we started up a service in Cainsham. And we didn't settle for where we were. We believed God had increased for us. We believed the place we were was too small. And we pushed out. It wasn't popular, actually, in the church at the time. I remember arguing with a few people about it. I remember a few people saying, no, this is great. Why do we want to do that? Why, why would we do that when we are here, where we are now? We had to push quite hard. I remember it was quite difficult, but now we have two churches, and both churches are quite full, and both churches are going, we need another building, and both churches, we, I mean, we've more than doubled our income financially, not that it's all about money, but we have, because we didn't settle, but we decided we would increase. One of the things I've really loved in my conversations with Matt is he's got a heart to increase, and so do you from the signs of things. Because there are thoughts and decisions and ideas that are about increase, not about settling. And that's exciting. Because that's kingdom culture. That really is. In Genesis chapter 11, there's that famous passage in verse 31. It says this, One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, Sarah, uh, his son Abraham's wife and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. In some ways, this is a slightly sad story because there was a goal. There was a vision in Terah's mind. We've got to get to Canaan. There's a land there flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place. We want to be there. And he had a vision for it such that he, he said to his family one day, come on, we're going to Canaan. We're going to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and we're going to Canaan. It's a better place for us. And they began the move. But for some reason along that journey, they stopped in Haran. And the Bible simply says those words. And they settled there. Maybe they got there and it was quite pleasant. It wasn't Canaan, but it was good enough. It wasn't what God had revealed to them, but it felt comfortable. And they settled there. Uh, and, and that's what happens sometimes in life. You, you arrive at certain places that are actually happy places, lovely places, pleasant places. And then we settle. There's the temptation to settle instead of increase. But as soon as you settle, you stop increasing. As soon as we settle for what we have, we cease to grow. And I think God wants us to keep growing and to keep moving forward until our last breath. The things that God has for counterslip are beyond Haran. They're beyond where you are today. They're beyond what you have today. And they require us to grow. 
They require us to move beyond safety. They require us to risk. They require us to pay a cost. They require us to move forward. Now, when my uh, wife, uh, I, I decided I was going to take my wife to see her favorite singer at the time, Ed Sheeran. So, so I bought tickets for Ed Sheeran. On, uh, I went on, online, and I w they were extraordinarily expensive. So, so I bought the cheap ones. I'm a cheapskate. And uh, so we drove to London. We got to Wembley. And I can tell you, with all honesty, there were seagulls that were lower than us. <laughs> it was, we were in the absolute rafters of Wembley, as far away from Ed Sheeran as you could get. <laughs> he was so small on the stage, we could barely make out that it was him, because I paid for the cheap seats. Because I paid for the cheap seats. And we as a church could do this. We can pay for the cheap seats. If you pay for the cheap seats in any kind of theater, you usually end up behind a pillar or... <laughs> you know the cheap seats. They're the seats that you can go, you can pay for them, but you won't get as good an experience. And, and I'm, I'm just prophesying over your church when I say this. The cheap seats won't get you where God wants you to be. It will cost you some. Go for the best. If you're going to do it, do it well. Belief for increase. Belief for growth. Belief for the blessing of God. Don't just do just enough. Go for it. Be on the front row at the Ed Sheeran concert that God's planning for you. <laughs> Otherwise, it ain't worth going. It ain't worth go it wasn't worth driving to London. I might as well have watched it on YouTube. But I pay for the cheap seats. Don't pay for the cheap seats in church. Now, that has some financial implications, but it, it, I would say if you're going to move forward in a vision, it's going to cost you in the pocket. You can't put 50p in anymore and go, it's okay. Yeah. So, someone in the room, God's speaking to you, and he's saying... That money you've been putting aside for a rainy day, why not put it into a vision day? It's going to cost. But that's how we grow. That's how we increase. That's how things change. God's calling us to get organized for increase. He's calling us to get organized for increase. There's a difference between being institutionalized and organized. Institutionalized, bad. Organized, good. Here's what it means to be institutionalized, okay? Institutionalized is when the church programs have become sacred, hampering the vision. That's institutionalized. The program will not budge or change because it's always been that way. And we have settled for that. And it hampers the vision for change. Institutionalized is when positions become too sacred, becoming synonymous with a person's identity. And institutionalized is when survival becomes the focus and risks are no longer allowed. 
But here's organized. You ready? That's institutionalized. Here's organized. This is what God wants for us. Programs represent the key strategies necessary to achieve the vision. In other words, everything we're doing in the calendar of the church, every event, every project, every community, everything's lined up with the vision. It's going to get us there. It's not a waste of our time. It's not going off over here or over there. Everything's lined up towards where we're headed. Our programs are facilitating the vision, not hampering it. Organized is when people have clear roles and know what they're trying to accomplish. Clear roles. I know what I'm responsible for. I know what I'm about. I'm going to do it with all of my heart. That is organized. And organized is when there is confidence to take on big goals and believe God will show up. There's a difference between being institutionalized and being organized. And counter slip, you're going to need to get organized. Get organized. Believe God. Show up. Get ready to pay. And God is going to do something awesome in and through the life of your local church. I agree with great Pentecostal theologian Donald G. who wrote this. The true sphere of healings and miracles is evangelism. The church makes a profound mistake when she tries to use the spiritual gifts for herself rather than others. I'll read that again. The true sphere of healings and miracles is evangelism. In other words, when you get on the front foot, when you start to increase, when you push back the walls of the church and you push back the boundaries and you start to reach out in ever-expanding ways, suddenly you'll be surprised at the kingdom power that shows up on your behalf and starts to move things and change things and save people and cause miracles to happen and answers to prayer. And you may have, you may have been wondering where those things have been all of these years and the problem has been we've tried to keep them in the four walls of the church and we've been settled where we are and then wondering why they're not flowing but they flow towards those who increase the spiritual gifts the miracles in the bible the supernatural flow to those who are pushing for increase just think about the apostle paul as he pushed forward for increase as he pushed out miracles and signs and wonders followed his ministry i'm just crazy enough to believe that that can happen today If we take God at his word and we go for increase, we go for more, and it becomes our culture. It becomes our norm. And instead of our culture being one of settling for what we have, it becomes one of driving towards the promised land of Canaan. Kingdom power follows the kingdom culture of increase. It does not flow into settlements, but into movements. I'm going to read that to you again. Kingdom power follows the kingdom culture of increase. It does not flow into settlements. It flows into movements. And we have to say, what will counterslip be? Will it be a settlement or a movement in the kingdom of God? Are you a settlement or are you a movement? Are you believing personally for increase? Are you believing collectively for increase? Are you growing? Do you want to collectively grow? As you push forward, you'll be a movement, not a settlement. The difference is simply cultural. 
You either believe and live out a culture of increase or you believe and live out a culture of settling. And it begins with number one. It begins with me, it begins with you. Personally deciding, I'm not gonna settle for what I have. I'm gonna push forward for increase. I had a fantastic little conversation earlier on. And uh, forgive me, because your name is dropped out of my head. Steve. Steve. I had a great conversation with Steve earlier on. And Steve said to me this. Oh, do you mind me sharing? Steve said to me this. He said, God's been speaking to me about not going through the motions anymore. I'm not going to go through the motions anymore. I sing the songs. I read the Bible. But there's something about going through the motions that I'm done with. He wants more. And I love that heart. And I want to thank you for that heart, Steve. You're an example to us all about a desire to keep increasing, to keep growing, to keep things fresh, to keep moving, to not get stuck in ruts, to not settle, but as a person and as a church to break out and believe God for increase. Are you with me? Should we pray? Come on, let's pray. In fact, let's all stand together. Precious Jesus. I want to just symbolically, prophetically, put your hands out in front of you as you're about to receive from God. I'm going to take a moment just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak and to work in your heart and life. And I want to prophesy over you today. God has so much more in store for you. You personally and you as a church. God sees more. There is increase for you. There is growth for you. It might stretch you. But God is beginning to put things in your hands now that have, he's not been able to give you up to this point. He's not been able to give it to you, but now there's something shifting in the culture, something shifting in your spirit and in your heart. And God is now able to give you bigger. God is able to give you more power. God is able to give you more of his blessing because your culture, because your heart is aligned with his and you're saying yes to him. You're saying, yes, Lord, more, Lord. Yes to what you have for us. Yes to what you have for us as a church. Yes to increase. Yes to growth. Some of you are saying, yes, I need wisdom, more insight. He's saying yes to you. He's putting truth into your hands. He's putting blessing in your hands. One or two of you, he's going to put finance and he's going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Some of you are going to get ideas and visions and dreams, and he's going to put blessing in your hands. There's one or two people in this room, and you're going to go to another level when it comes to ministering, praying to people, praying for people. God's putting spiritual gifts in your hands. There's an increase that's happening. There's one or two worship leaders in this room, and you know you've been going through the motions, singing the same songs over and over, and God is saying there's fresh lyrics coming to you. Fresh words come into you. There's something new coming to you. There's increase coming to you. And this next season is going to be creative beyond your imagination. 
That's what increase looks like. That's what it looks like. Come on, church. Holy Spirit, we receive everything you have for us. And I pray and I declare increase over this church. In every way, in every area, increase. Multiplication, fruitfulness, growth in spirit, growth in disciples, growth in wisdom. I speak fruitfulness and multiplication from this day forward. That, Lord, as this church step out of the comfort zone and take risks, as they start to believe, not just for the cheap seats anymore, but for the best seats in town, we believe that, Lord God, you'll provide, you will give, you will release, you will open doors. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you.